In John chapter 17, Jesus prays one of the most magnificent prayers recorded in all of Scripture. It's often referred to as the high priestly prayer. And one of the things that Jesus prays in this prayer is for the unity of his people. He prays for those who would follow him, that they would be one as he and the Father are one. Listen to these words from John 17, verses 17 to 21. Sanctify them, these disciples. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but for those who follow them, who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they may also be in us, that the world, with the purpose of the world, knowing, believing that you have sent me. Jesus prays for our unity, that we would be one in Christ as Jesus and the Father are one. There's no division among them. He's praying that there would be no division among us and that this oneness would be used by God for gospel advancement. That through our unity, people would know the reality, the glory of Christ. Because how is it that we, a diverse, unique, sinful group of people can be one? Only in Christ, only in Jesus can we be one as God and the Father are one. Listen, it is a miracle that the church exists. We have so many individuals amongst us with their own thoughts, their own preferences, their own sin that can threaten the unity of the church. And yet somehow for thousands of years, the people of God have gathered together to give witness to the glory and the gospel of Christ. And we must continue to work to make sure that our unity and our witness are possible for God's redemptive work. It requires us to engage as a people in spiritual work. It requires us as a people to engage in mutual submission for our fellowship and its witness to remain strong. As we turn to Matthew 18 today, Jesus again is addressing an, an internal threat that can threaten the health of the local church, that can threaten the health of its witness. What happens when a brother or a sister, a member of this body, sins against another? What happens when the unity of our body, the testimony of our body, is threatened by our own brokenness? Jesus says that for the sake of the gospel, we must engage the offense and we must engage it with the gospel in mind. Because only when we are mindful of the work of Christ can we allow the work of Christ to work through us for the purpose of restoration. Here's the main point I think that Jesus is making for us today as recorded in Matthew's gospel. We must engage sin in a gospel-centered way to protect the unity and the witness of our fellowship. Now let me just offer a quick word of caution to us before we begin reading our text this morning. This passage of scripture has been both abused and ignored in the history of the church. Some of you 
will be all too familiar with this passage. And there may be a wound that you need to give to the Lord today. Some of you may be hearing it for the first time because you've never been a part of a church that is engaged in this practice in a healthy way. I would ask us all this morning, though, whatever baggage or lack of knowledge we bring to Matthew 18, I would ask that we would pray for the Lord's help to see his grace to us in these words and that we would pray for our church for God's help to put them into practice in a way that honors him for his glory. Let's begin reading our passage today. We're gonna read verses 15 to 20 and then move into the later part of the passage later. Here's what the Bible says. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two along with you, others, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, then tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. What do you do when your brother sins against you and the nature of that offense begins to threaten your ability to remain in fellowship with the people of God? What do you do when someone says something unkind about you, engages in gossip? What do you do when someone borrows money from you and doesn't pay it back, essentially stealing from you? What do you do when someone betrays you, when they lie or even do something worse? I could go on with examples because our ability to sin against one another is as broad as our brokenness. But here's what Jesus calls us to do when a sinful offense happens. Jesus calls us to respond to that offense in a gospel way. To engage the offender and offer forgiveness when it is asked. Now, consequently, also, Jesus says, if we have offended, that we would be quick to offer or to ask for forgiveness in humility, the kind of humility that is expected of his kingdom. But the action primarily here, as Jesus described it, is situated to the one who is offended. So let's walk through this gospel process that Jesus unfolds to make sure that we honor him in those moments when we are wounded. When there is a fence that is threatening the unity of the body, Jesus calls us to humbly engage the offense and quickly forgive the offender. Those are the two primary actions he describes here. We are to humbly engage the offense and we are to quickly forgive the offender. Let's consider those more in-depthly just for a moment. The first response that Jesus calls us to, when there is an offense, we humbly engage it. Jesus says, this is verse 15, if your brother sins against you, work to win your brother or your sister back. 
Now let me make some preliminary statements here based upon this verse. The first thing we need to think of as we read Matthew 18 with an intent to act upon it is to make sure that there is a sinful offense present. Is there actual sin that needs to be addressed? Or is this just a preference thing? Is this something that I can look past with a good conscience? Can I release it and show mercy and grace? We need to wrestle with that to make sure that we're not adding to offense as we address offense. Some years ago, I was working in Texas, and for a very long time, Baylor, the University of Baylor, was really bad at football, okay? They're better now, but I remember one time they got really beat, and I was, uh, I was given the task of leading prayer time on Wednesday night at our Wednesday night service, so I got up and I said, guys, I think the first thing we need to do is pray for the Baylor Bears because they got really embarrassed this week. Of course, just joking. And after the service, uh, a sister came up to me and she was gravely offended, (laughs) deeply offended. And this is not a joke. She was really upset that I would make a joke about her Baylor Bears. She said, this is not a laughing matter, Jared. You should never have done that. You need to apologize to me. Here's what Matthew 18 is not doing. It's not giving you a window to engage your lack of sense of humor, okay? We need to make sure that when we engage Matthew 18, there is sinful offense present. Secondly, we also need to make sure that we remember the goal here. And what is the stated goal of Jesus in this passage? If there's sinful offense, the goal is to win your brother back, to gain your brother or sister. The goal is restoration. And I would just challenge you, if you ever are called or feel led to engage in this, if you cannot engage with restoration and love in mind, you are not ready to engage. We'll talk more about that in a minute. But if there is sin, if there's sinful offense, we are called to humbly engage with the purpose of restoration. And Jesus offers you a three-step process to help you know how to engage. Firstly, he says, go individually. If there's evidence, conviction, scriptural warrant for you to engage because a sinful offense has been committed, the first thing you do is you go to your brother or sister, the one who offended you, to speak to them, to explain the fault, to show where in scripture you believe the offense to be grounded and why you feel the need to address it. You expose the hurt, all the while praying for restoration. And if the brother or sister recognizes the offense, they agree that an offense has been given and they ask for forgiveness, you forgive. And the process ends, praise the Lord. You can walk forward in unity and restoration, giving witness to the power of the gospel in your life. But if that doesn't bring it to an end, if there's no reconciliation, there's a second step that Jesus offers. He says, after you go individually, if there is no resolution, verse 16, you are to go with witnesses. Two or three, which is the biblical precedent set forth in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 19. These witnesses are to have heard the offense, perhaps witnessed the offense. If not witnessed it, they are to investigate it a little bit to make sure that there is an offense that's worthy of confrontation. 
And they come to an agreement that such a conversation should take place. Now remember, these people should not just be people who are in your corner all the time, who flatter or who won't speak truth. They need to be people who are trustworthy and have no ill intent toward the person who is being addressed because that will break down the process. So these witnesses, if they agree that confrontation needs to be escalated, join you in confronting your brother or sister to add to the weight of the process and help give perspective. They share what they have seen, what they have heard, what they have learned, and they call the offending brother or sister to repentance. And if repentance is, is displayed, if forgiveness is requested, then, then we extend forgiveness and the process ends. Again, praise be to God. That, that it's work. The gospel is working. That, that unity can be found even in the midst of wounds. But if they don't repent, then we move to step three. After you go individually, after you go with witnesses, Jesus says, verse 17, that we go to the church. Now, why would we take it to this level? Why would we go to the church? Because the church holds spiritual authority in the life of all of its members. Remember verses 18 and 19. We talked about this a little bit. Jesus says, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. This is talking about the authority that's been entrusted to the church to carry out the spiritual activity of Christ upon the earth. We have a responsibility to act to preserve the fellowship for the sake of Christ. Moreover, we have the responsibility, the privilege of confronting sin in the life of our members to make sure that they are walking faithfully after Christ. So if this issue remains unresolved, the offended party and witnesses bring the issue to the attention of the church who then engage in a restorative process. And the hope is that both parties will follow the lead of the church leadership and the issue will be resolved. Again, to the praise of God. But once again, if the issue is not resolved, then stronger actions, sobering actions, must be taken. If there is evident, apparent sin in the life of an individual and the individual refuses to repent in spite of all the steps taken, in spite of all the scriptures shown, in spite of all the movement of the Holy Spirit in their life, then that person is evidencing a lack of sensitivity to the Spirit. Perhaps worse, they are evidencing an unregenerate heart and they must be removed from the congregation because they are not showing the power of the gospel in their life. And this is done by congregational vote. And the hope here, the hope, the aim of this last drastic action, the absence of fellowship that it will bring about is that it will lead this person to repentance and restoration. And if there's no repentance, then it is evidence that they were never truly of us as they go out from us, as John writes in 1 John 2, 19. Let me just say a word here. This is very heavy what Jesus is asking us to do here. It should be hard. It should be hard. It should be done with great care, but it should hurt whenever we have to confront sin in this way and remove someone from membership, someone we love from membership in the local church. The hope, though, is that the spirit-led reconciliation happens and we can move forward in oneness. 
Now, in order for that to happen, a second step also has to be considered. Not only are we to humbly engage the offense, Jesus asks us to fully forgive the offender. To fully forgive the offender. Let's let's revisit for a moment a parable we've already looked at in our study of the Gospel of Matthew that's found in Matthew 18, the parable of the unforgiving servant. Peter has a natural question that arises as he hears Jesus teach on the responsibility of forgiveness and the witness of the church. He comes to Jesus, it's in verse 21 of Matthew 18. Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Okay, let's say that we go through this process, but my brother or sister continues to offend. How often do I have to forgive them? As many as seven times? Now, just so you know, the rabbinic teaching at this time said to, to forgive an offense three times. And then after the third time, you were free. The fourth time required no forgiveness. So Peter here is being generous in his mind, more than doubling the requirement of his day. Do I need to do it as many as seven times? Jesus, though, he requires even more generosity. He says to him, verse 22, I don't say to you seven times, but 77 times. And in saying that, Jesus is doing something deliberate here, playing on a passage from the book of Genesis in chapter four, where a guy named Lamech is described. And here's what we know about Lamech. He boasted in revenge. Here's what he says, verse 23. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice, you wives of Lamech. I don't know who talks to their wives that way, but apparently this guy did. Listen to what I say. I've killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's revenge is 77-fold. He's boasting in destruction. He's boasting in revenge. Now, friends, how often is that true of our life? When we engage in offense, we don't want restoration, not truly. We want our enemy to be destroyed. We want them to hurt as much as we hurt. In my heart of heart, I want to see them eradicated. That's what we do in our flesh. But what is Christ asking of us here? He's saying our boast should be different. We're not boasting in revenge. We're not boasting in proving right. We should boast in forgiveness. Why? Because of what we have been forgiven of. And he proves his point with this parable. Look at verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, just for reference, that's an absurd amount of money, okay? I was reading a commentator this week who said it would be like a kid saying a gajillion, okay? So this guy's brought to the court. He owes a gajillion bazillion talents. It's 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 so hard to even wrap your mind around the amount of money this guy owes. It can never, ever be paid back. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant falling on his knees, imploring him, says, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. Now, notice as he says that, it is impossible. What he's claiming here is an impossible thing to claim. There's no possible way in his lifetime he would ever be able to repay this debt. And yet look 
at the response of the master. Out of pity for him, verse 27, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the unpayable debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, significantly less, definitely able to be paid back. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. His fellow servant fell down, pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. And he actually could do this. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. And his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not have you had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers, listen, until he should pay all of his debt and he would never be able to pay it. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. A remarkable parable. A man with an unpayable debt is forgiven by a merciful king and yet this servant fails to forgive a smaller debt that was owed to him and as a result, he met the king's wrath. Let me remind us, church family, today, there is no offense that we could commit toward one another that is greater than the offense we have committed to God and yet he has made a way for forgiveness. The gospel must always be at the front of our mind as we engage in relationships in the local church. The gospel must be at the front of our mind as we engage sin because it's a reminder of how God engaged sin, even though he was the offended party. Do you, do you remember? Do you, do you see how much God loved us and that while we were enemies of God, he sent his son, he sent his son to take on flesh and dwell among us, to live a perfect sinless life, to meet the righteous requirement of the law, only to have his own people put him upon a cross. And as he died, he bore the wrath, the full wrath of God that we deserved so that in his resurrected life, we could be offered eternal abundant life. We do not deserve that. We do not deserve what God has given us in Jesus. And yet, as we behold the truth of the gospel, we are overwhelmed by the love of God toward us. As we behold the gospel, we are overwhelmed by the mercy of God toward us. As we behold the gospel, we are overwhelmed by the forgiveness of God toward us. And the hope is that we are so overwhelmed by the love, the mercy, and forgiveness of Jesus, of God toward us in Christ, that that love, mercy, and forgiveness shows up in our life. It must. If we've experienced the forgiveness of God in Jesus, it must show up in our life. Because if it doesn't, it may be evidence of the fact that we weren't forgiven at all. And we may meet the king's wrath because we're not true citizens of the kingdom. So let's bring this home. Let's bring this to a very practical summary of what we have heard today from Jesus. If you are offended, 
If there is sinful against, uh, offense committed against you, humbly engage. If it's necessary, go. Go to your brother. Go to your sister. Don't let it simmer. Go to address the offense and do so with restoration in mind. The only way I'd call you to hesitate is if in your heart there's bitterness that doesn't allow you to go to that brother or sister in a God-honoring way. If there's any other goal than to win back your brother or your sister, you need to wait because you are not ready to engage. But at some point, you need to engage. And then when you do, follow the process that Jesus has outlined. Go individually. Go with trusted, reliable witnesses. And then go to the church, trusting that he will make his will clear. And when the Spirit brings conviction and the offender repents, be quick to forgive and fully forgive. Don't hold a grudge, because if you do, then you will be in the position of being the offender. And you, potentially, could create a foothold for the enemy and the unity and the witness of this church We are a family, and our oneness is part of our witness. Let me just say a couple of things here, because honestly, I've not been a part of a lot of churches that have done this well, that have walked through this process, because it's difficult, and it's hard. Let me say that not everything that's brought to the church that rises to that level requires a public discussion. Contextually, we're in a bit of a different context of the New Testament church who primarily met in small house churches. It would have been evident to everyone who's a part of that church if disputes rose among members in the church. And in large churches, we have to exercise some wisdom about how we bring things to the whole of the church. And I say that because I want you to know that if you bring an offense that rises to this level, to the leadership, we will exercise care. I think some people disengage from this process because they're afraid of having things brought before the whole church. But some offenses do require a public declaration at a family meeting or a like-called meeting because of the way the offense threatens the witness of the church And we are called to remove these persons because they are not evidencing a regenerate spirit. And we must do this as a body because of the authority that has been entrusted to us by Jesus himself. And again, it should hurt. It should. But it's also a means of grace as it reminds us of the seriousness with which Jesus protects his church as it reminds us of the seriousness with which he sees our sin. By the way, this is one of the reasons why we take covenant membership so seriously here at our church. Because we want to be sure that everyone that we recommend, everyone that we receive is a follower of Jesus. I want you to know when we receive people into membership, we are saying something about them. We are saying that we believe that, that they have experienced the, the gospel work of Jesus Christ, that the Spirit has awakened 
their sin-darkened eyes to the glory of Christ, and they have repented and believed, entrusting their life to the lordship of Jesus. And we welcome them in to join us in giving glorious witness to the rule and reign, the blessing of the rule and reign of King Jesus in our lives. That's Every time we vote on someone to join our church, that's what we are saying. And so when that witness is threatened, when that declaration we've declared over them is threatened, we have a responsibility to act. And everyone who comes into the church knows that. And I hope they see it as a blessing because none of us want to jeopardize the work of Jesus in our life. And none of us want to jeopardize, I hope, the unity of this body and its witness to the power of the gospel. And so, when an offense arises, we commit ourselves to humbly engage and fully forgive for the glory of Christ. How can we respond this morning to what Jesus is teaching us today? Let me say a word first of, you, or to, first of all to those in this room who say, I don't know if I'm a follower of Jesus at all. To the unchristian joining us in the room or perhaps online this morning, let me just encourage you this morning to step into the forgiveness of Jesus. You cannot be reconciled to your brother, not truly until you have been reconciled to God. The Bible says that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, meaning that we have sinned against God. And that has created a relational break between us and the Father that will last for all eternity unless someone acts. And the Bible says that we have no power in our own ability to make up that relational gap. Honestly, we'll probably make it worse. But God in his mercy... God in his grace, when we could not act, has acted for us and he sent his son to cover this gap. So whoever whoever believes in Jesus, whoever gives their life to Jesus is covered by his blood and the offense is gone because it has been placed upon Jesus. What a tremendous thing to realize. What a tremendous thing to hope in. If you've never given your life to Jesus, oh, would you believe in him unto salvation today? Repent, repent of that offense. Go to God as the Holy Spirit moves in your life. Go to God and say, I have offended you so greatly. There are so many times I have chosen things that do not honor you. And yet you have responded by sending your son. And so I wanna step into Christ and the, the covering that his blood offers to find forgiveness and to be restored to right relationship with you now and for all of eternity. In just a minute, we'll have some pastors and ministers here up front. We'd love to receive you and encourage you if you feel the Spirit is moving you that way to step into the forgiveness of Christ. Now, for those of us who are in Christ, and particularly those who are members of this church, are we walking in that forgiveness? This morning, would you consider your relationships? Do you need to pursue someone? Do you need to engage someone for the sake of this body? Is there bitterness or hurt in your heart because a a true sinful offense has been committed? Do you need to engage in that? Would you ask the Holy Spirit now to help prepare your heart to do that in a way that honors the Lord? Are you in need of forgiveness? 
The Holy Spirit may be prompting you right now that, hey, listen, I know there's something wrong. I probably was the one at fault. Go. Go and ask, hey, if there's something between us that's wrong, I I just wanna make sure it's right. Can you ever forgive me? Let me just remind us of some, some values that should drive this engagement. Firstly, we're called to be zealous for unity. Paul writes that to us in the book of Ephesians. We are to be eager to maintain the unity of this body. Let us be eager for the unity. It may not, we may not be eager for an uncomfortable conversation, but isn't a five-minute, 30-minute, hour-long, uncomfortable conversation worth the witness of the body? Isn't it worth protecting the glory in the name of Christ? Be zealous for unity. And if someone comes to you in humility and love, be open to meet. And when you meet, listen rather than dismiss. It's, it's natural for us to be defensive. It's natural for us to be dismissive. But have your spiritual ears on and ask the Holy Spirit to help you see or, or hear if there's anything that is true in the offense that in good conscience, with integrity, you can ask for forgiveness for to be able to maintain the relationship and ask for the Spirit's help at all times in the process to respond in a way that honors the Lord. Can we be serious about this? Because the fear is, and what I've seen, is if we don't engage in this process, we will disengage from the church. And that's not acceptable either because we're a family. And there are a lot of great churches around us. But conflict, brokenness is in every one of them. And so if we don't engage, we're just going to be moving a lot. And that's not what God has designed for us. As he's knit a people together. We're not supposed to be like the world, right? We're supposed to be different. It's natural to run. It's natural to disengage. It is supernatural to engage for the sake of the gospel. And finally, would you pray for our church? Again, it's a miracle that the church exists. And yet it does. All for the glory of God. Would you pray that the Lord would protect this body and that we would take the unity, the oneness that Jesus prays for, the witness of our church, that we would take it seriously? Would you pray that we would be a a people who are merciful, who are loving and forgiving. Oh, that when people walked in the door of this building, they would see a supernaturally loving people who don't hold grudges, who are quick to forgive because we want to see, we want them to see in us the character and nature of our God who is abundant in mercy, who is overflowing with forgiveness to those of us who are in Christ. What a glorious thing to behold, what a glorious thing to think of, and what a glorious thing to display for the sake of the nations. Wherever you are, would you bow your heads? Think about how the Lord is calling you to respond today. Do you need to be reconciled to God through Jesus? Come talk to us. We'd love to help you do that.
If you're in Christ, you need to be reconciled to a brother or sister. Is there true offense? And is your heart's desire to win your brother or sister back for the sake of this body, for the sake of its witness? Engage. Engage for the glory of God. And pray for the Lord's protection on this body. And a culture that is so divided, and a world that is so divided over silly things, over important things, that we would be unified in Christ. Father, would you help us respond in a way that honors and glorifies you today? May we be a more faithful people because of our time before your word. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. You stand and respond as the Lord leads. Thank you for worshiping with us. For more information about Bayleaf Baptist Church, visit our website, bayleaf.org.